Tonight's show deals with a very sensitive subject. Every year, twice as many people die from suicide than are killed by homicide or auto accidents. However, the overwhelming majority of those with intense suicidal experiences find their way through tough times. Their stories remind us that suicide is preventable. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. There is help. That number will be listed in the show notes. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> all right, Matt, how you doing, brother? Man, I'm good. How good. about you? I'm doing all right now that the weather isn't stupid cold anymore. <laughs> It'll probably get back there, though, in, like, oh, yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. But, yeah, winter in Tennessee. You yeah. gotta love it, man. It sucks. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> but, uh, so, a little bit of news on my front. I was, a couple of days ago, I was sitting in my office at work, and I'm not normally in my office. I'm usually on the floor doing stuff. And I was having to catch up on some paperwork. So, I'm sitting there kind of in my own little world. And all of a sudden, I hear this like little kid singing. Unbeknownst to me, the guy in the office next to me decided to play a Facebook video of his granddaughter singing. <laughs> right? So you know me and kids, and we had just gotten done discussing, you know, ghost children and all this other stuff. <laughs> so that's where my mind goes first, and it creeped me out. I bet. So I go sneaking out of my office and I'm like following this sound, you know, and it's him. And I walk in. And I'm like, dude, you have no idea what you just did to me. And he actually listens to our he show. Goes, he goes, yeah, I think I might know what I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to go home and clean your pants. But yeah, that that really creeped me out. I, I really thought that the ghost children had come to get me and were singing my death song or something. <laughs> but speaking of ghosts, um, I had to read this story to you guys. I kind of gave Matt a general synopsis of this, but I didn't read the story to him. And it just it's it interested me, so I need to need to share it with you guys. This is a Huffington Post story. Two British athletes starring on a reality show are claiming that a sex ghost seems to be haunting their hotel rooms. British Paralympian Kadena Cox and retired rugby star Gareth Thomas are two of the celebrities competing on The Jump, a British show where famous people compete in various snow sports, like a ski jump with the stars. So. The season jumping with the stars. Right. So the season's first episode aired Sunday on Channel 4, but the show is scaring up more attention for what's happening in the celebs' hotel rooms. During the episode, the 25-year-old Cox reportedly asked for a new room after allegedly being sexually violated by a ghost. Another competing celebrity, Emma Parker Bowles, the Duchess of Cornwall's niece, said on the show that Cox was penetrated by some sort of paranormal entity. Thomas, 42, concurred. She had a ghost going in and out of her. She had a sleep thing, he said, according to the son. She wishes it were a person. It was going in and out of her body. The feeling was apparently so real to her, she asked for a room change, as did Thomas. And a cigarette. And a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to move to different floors because when I'm hearing these ghost stories, I was at the very, very end of the corridor and I got scared, he said. Cox and Thomas are just the latest semi-famous people who've claimed to have had ghost sex. Last year, Bobby Brown promoted his autobiography by claiming a ghost had sex with him. I wasn't high, Brown told 2020. <laughs> 
I was not tripping. If you got to preface it by that's, saying that, that's we got what problems. I was thinking. If you have to say that, you probably were. <laughs> In September 2012, Kesha told Ryan Seacrest her song "Supernatural" was inspired by a Randy romp with a male ghost. It's about experiences with the supernatural, but in a sexy way, she told Seacrest. I had a couple experiences with the supernatural. I don't know his name. He was a ghost. I'm very open to it. (laughs) So, So apparently there is a group of people called spectrophiliacs who fantasize about these spooky encounters. I... I don't even know what to say. I know. know, It's so bizarre. If you're in our Facebook group, you know that uh, a while back I shared a little meme from a British daytime TV show that was of a a woman saying that she's given up living men to only sleep with ghosts. So now we've got the Bobby Brown thing, this chick on the, the TV show. We've got Kesha and we've got this star on this other British TV show. So I don't know what's going on. Like, is it more prevalent now? You know, are ghosts getting randier? It must be because this was not even a thing until, I don't know, a few months ago. Yeah. I I had never even thought of that. And and I've, I've just thought up some crazy stuff. Right. I've never thought about that. I mean, it reminds me of the, the Ghostbusters thing with Dan Aykroyd. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so I, yeah, I don't know. It makes me think maybe, uh, cemeteries are going to start having like singles night. <laughs> you know, they may now they may, uh. I don't, I don't even know what to say. Really. I just had to share that story because it, <laughs> it intrigued me in not so good a way. But before we get into tonight's episode, we're going to take a potty break and this week's potty break. Promos are True Crime Fan Club and Pints and Puzzles. Hey guys, it's Lainey, host of the True Crime Fan Club podcast. If you're a true crime addict like I am, then my podcast is for you. It's a podcast for the ultimate true crime enthusiast, giving you a glimpse into the life and crimes of the most demented minds. You won't want to miss an episode. What's the podcast? Find me a podcast. Hey guys, it's TJ from the Pints and Puzzles podcast. You missed me to my dad. We explore some of the strange, unusual, and often obscure cases throughout history. But did I mention there's craft beer reviews? My dad shows the best. Come give us a listen on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. All right, Matt, we're back. And let's get into the episode tonight. So what are we talking about tonight? Okay, tonight we are going to be discussing the uh, Aokigahara Forest uh, just outside of Tokyo, Japan. Right. And I'm sure a lot of people have heard heard a lot of rumors and stories and everything about it, but we'll get into a lot of what is fact and what is fiction? Because there's a lot of tall tales right. that have come about because of Aoki Gahara and how spooky it is. And there recently it was in kind of the headlines here because of some dummy on YouTube. Right. Um, so we just want to say, dude, you're dumb. And that's all we're going to say about it. Yeah. But we'll get into the the real history of it and all that. So let's have Matt kind of go over the lay of the land and give you what it's all about here. Okay. The uh, the uh, Aoki Gahara, I'm going to mispronounce this. I know. I've practiced <laughs> it all week. But uh, Aoki Gahara Forest uh, is at the base of Mount Fuji which is about 100 miles west of Tokyo. The forest itself is about 30 square kilometers, which is about 12 square miles. Uh, It formed over a layer of hardened lava 
from an eruption of Mount Fuji in 864. So at the, uh, at the edge of the forest, you can find caves. As I said, there's uh, essentially volcanic soil that allows a lot of new fauna and flora to uh, flourish. Right. It's a very fertile place. Yeah, very, you know, if you're familiar with volcanic soil, you know, it's, it's very, it's very rich with minerals. It's, you know, really promotes, you know, new plant growth, sometimes even plant growth that isn't, you know, it, it, it isn't around that area. Right. You know, it, it can, you know, things can grow in that kind of soil that wouldn't normally grow in the soil from that region. So Right. And I I talked to a buddy of mine who lives in Japan named Yuta, and he was telling me a story that was in the news a couple years ago, I guess, that there was a guy who was running from the police because he was trafficking marijuana. And so he ran into Aoki Gahara to try to escape the police. They never found him. He never came out. So a year and a half, two years later, somebody that was walking the force found him. And they actually found him amidst a whole bunch of marijuana plants. The marijuana that was in his pockets sprouted and there was some growing out of his pants and around his body in that soil because it was so rich. Now, that could be a tall tale, but supposedly it was actually news story. Well, you know, in areas around uh, South America where there's, you know, rich volcanic soil, uh, they're not, you know, growing tomatoes. No, that's true. <laughs> that's true. And, you know, that's part of the reason why, because it grows so so readily there. Right. And, and I'm not just talking about marijuana. Right. I mean, you know, a, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of the illegal drugs, um, you know, they come from plants, you know, it's all how they're processed and everything. Right. And you need those plants to grow. So that's why those areas with that volcanic soil are more prevalent for that kind of activity. Right. Uh, you know, not that I would know anything about that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I've watched Narcos, so there you I, go. I know that much. There you go. But Aoki Gahara, um, it has been described as the perfect place to die. In a, in a book, the, uh, the, the Manual of Suicide, crap. Adam, why, <laughs> why can't I find where I wrote the name of this stinking book down? Um, it was uh, written by a Japanese author, and it essentially is a guide on how to commit suicide from everything from the, the most effective ways to the most painless ways. And the Aoki Gahara Forest is listed in there as a perfect place to die. Right. Um, why? It's hard to say, but when we start describing the forest, it may become more clear as to what would draw people there, you know, as a place. It's a, it's a very spiritual place. Mount Fuji is a very spiritual place. So it, it could be the, you know, the isolation, the quiet, the peacefulness of the forest, the, the density of the forest itself that would, uh, would allow somebody to feel like they're completely escaping the world by entering in here. Right. Um, but understand, you know, we're going to be talking about suicide an awful lot because it's a part of this forest, but that's not, that's not really the focus of uh, tonight's show. We're, we're more interested in what the allure is, the, the stories and the mystique of this place and it, it all just ties together. So we, we can't talk about one without talking about the other. Right. And, and that's why Adam and I felt that we would be remiss if we didn't lead into tonight's show with, you know, our, our little uh, public service announcement about, um, 
about suicide and the uh, and the suicide lifeline number. Uh, so the Okigahara Forest, uh, we've talked about where it is, how it was made. Um, there's some there's some strange animals in there. You you're you're liable to see uh, an, an Asian black bear, small Japanese moles, bats, mice, deer, fox, and boar. Um, they're not just overflowing in the forest, but you know, there are, there are animals there. Um, one of the most interesting things because of these, these suicides that have occurred in there, and I'm, I'm going to touch on some numbers there. They've actually got signs posted at the entrance that encourage people to, um, reconsider if that's something that they're thinking about. One of the signs translated says, your life is something precious that was given to you by your parents. Uh, Another one says to meditate on your parents, siblings, and your children once more. Do not be troubled alone. I think another translation I read of that says, talk about your troubles. So the Japanese understand that this is a problem. Japan has the 17th highest suicide rate in the world. Right. Um, of course, it's also got a large population, too. So the more people you have, the more likely this is going to be an issue. Um, but but they're trying to do their best to reduce this number, you know, especially around this area of the forest. It is the second most popular place in the world to commit suicide Second only to the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Right. Which, I mean, honestly, I mean, I've I've never been to the Golden Gate Bridge, but I've seen pictures of it. I mean, how in the world? I mean, that seems like I got to go through a whole lot of trouble to get out on this bridge to do something like this. Like, I, again, I'm going to go digging through this dense forest to, right. you know, to do something like this or even think about doing something like this. You know, and you just be at home. I I don't understand the idea of, well, we got to go somewhere to do this, but we'll get in a little bit to the pilgrimage here uh, in a minute. When we start talking about the spiritual aspect of Mount Fuji and of Aoki Gahara, there is a pilgrimage um, aspect to that. And one of the things about, Aoki Gahara is in Japan, suicide has not been looked on as taboo for many years, not as taboo as it is in the Western cultures. It was actually, you know, for a while it was a, I I guess like a noble way to die, you know, it is to take your own life in battle or it, you know, it shows if you, if you lost this battle, you would take your own life to show your allegiance to your leader. Um, it 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 wasn't as taboo as we think of it in Western society, right? And up until recently, right? And you know, samurai warriors would you know commit harikari, um, and it was an honorable thing to right. do. It was it was better to do that than to be captured by your enemy, right? So yeah, it it is a different um, mindset in Japanese culture, but it it's still in in the modern world, it's it's something that all cultures can can bond together and say this is something that doesn't need to happen. Right. Um, but in the 1950s, you know, Japanese businessmen, you know, would wander into the forest and. March is actually the most the the most prevalent month for suicides. And March also marks, you know, the end of a fiscal term. So you're a businessman, you, you you've had a, a bad business deal, uh your your company tanks, uh you lose your job, something like that. Some some major event that would cause you to start reflecting on your life and possibly lead you to the idea that there's nothing left to live for. Right. Um, at least 500 people 
have gone into that forest and not come out. That's the, just the ones that they know about. That's just the ones they know about. Um, the, the rate has been increasing steadily since the 1950s. In fact, in 2002, there was a record 78 confirmed suicides within the forest. A year later, they found 105 bodies in the forest. So that number's going up. And in 2010, there were 200 attempts. Now, only 54 of those were successful. But 200 people went into this forest thinking, this is what I'm going to do. This is the place where I'm going to die. So let's talk about why, Adam. Let's talk about what what would be the the allure for people to to travel to this forest, because it's it's not just Japanese people. No. Um, One of the things that you had touched on was the the lava that is this forest sits on. And that lava does have a high magnetic, high magnetic properties because it has a high iron content. So it's going to radiate magnetic fields. And looked up a few things on what high magnetic fields can do to your brain. And it's kind of interesting. And it might explain a little bit of why in that area, depression and suicide is prevalent. because. A high electromagnetic field into your brain can induce panic, disorientation, and deep fear. And there are some electromagnetic fields that are applied to different areas of the brain that will pacify people and put them in a good mood. But if it hits a certain area, people report a persistent, if mild, sense of unease and others a more visceral response, high feelings of despair, paranoia, and sliding into overwhelming terror. Now, it can also make you see ghosts. So electromagnetic fields and electric shocks have induced specific hallucinations in people. Those who are exposed to them, even in laboratory settings, have caused people to complain about a feeling of people following them, people talking to them, or watching them. And it's not always an uncomfortable situation, but it depends on your cultural beliefs on ghosts and spirits. Some people interpret the presence as very malevolent, especially if it's coupled with the feeling of unease. So if you are one of those people that are affected by high magnetic fields to feel uneasy or paranoid, and also you start hallucinating ghosts, then it can cause a very dark, you know, very dark thoughts in your brain. Right. Now, we can't talk about Aokigahara without mentioning Mount Fuji because it's right on the edge of Mount Fuji. And Mount Fuji is a very sacred and spiritual place for a lot of Japanese. And it was established that way by Shinto and folk tradition, which are based largely on the reverence of nature and the natural world. And mountains in general are thought of as locations where it's possible to invoke the souls of the deceased. Now, around Mount Fuji, there are many small shrines that dot the area and some quote-unquote purification lakes used by many people who make the Fuji pilgrimage that I touched on earlier. So the whole area offers a great spiritual security for people on this pilgrimage. But the mountain itself is a very open space, offering very little privacy. So because of this lack of privacy, Fuji itself is not able to provide the proper atmosphere for the ultimate and final pilgrimage for someone who's looking to take their own life. So, for example, in... Just as a preface to this, I'm going to do my best, but my accent will probably get in the way of me pronouncing some of these names correctly, (laughs) but I will do my best. So, Jikigyo Miroki was a leader of a Fuji-centric Buddhist sect in the Edo period. Now, Miroki scripted his suicide, and he planned to 
make the ultimate pilgrimage to the summit of Mount Fuji. But such an action was actually forbidden by the shrine that was in control of the summit because they felt that such a death would pollute and defile the purity of the mountain. So since his original plan couldn't couldn't be done, he chose instead to find a cave on the northern slope of the mountain above the Iboshi Iwa or the seventh station, which faced the Aoki Gahara Forest. And in 1733, Moroku committed himself to a 31-day fasting and meditation, and he died just as he predicted 31 days later. For him, it was seen as an act of salvation for others. He was giving his life to save those in his sect of religious worshipers. Now, Aoki Gahara is really important to the true pilgrimage because it's associated with sharing in Fuji's identity, but it meets a different cultural and spiritual need. Fuji being the public space, Aoki Gahara has this haunting and intimate sense of privacy, Um, and that's stated by a lot of people who tour Aoki Gahara, you know, they state that it is very, very dark, very, you know, there, there's a real haunting sense about it. Yeah. The, some of the accounts that I read, the word heavy was used an awful lot. Right. This, this, this heavy feeling when you enter the forest. And some of that's partly because the area is so dense that, wind doesn't even pass through right and the the canopy is is so thick that there are parts of the forest where sunlight doesn't even reach the ground and and the areas where the sun does get through you know it it's filtered through it comes in in beams and it you right. know so if you can imagine it's it's very picturesque you know almost you know in, enchanting right you know if you had an idea of well, this this may be what you know the quote unquote enchanted forest looks like. Mm-hmm. I would imagine it looks a lot like Aoki Gahara. Right. There's an artist who went into Aoki Gahara to take photos, um, and he took them in kind of a negative, um, so that the trees and the shrubbery and everything showed up white, because in Japanese culture, white is associated with death and mourning and all that. So he was wanting to kind of portray what people going on their last pilgrimage would see. And if you can find these pictures, they're very haunting because the forest itself is very beautiful. But like Matt said, it's dark. It's the whole floor is covered in a moss and there's trees and everything just as dense as anywhere else in the world. So you're having to pick your way through a lot of this. and then in that negative form, it, it's a very surreal look to those photos. And I'll see if I can find, no promises, but I'll see if I can find a link to those photos and put them in the show notes so everybody can see them. But the very first documented suicide in Aoki Gahara occurred four centuries before Moroku's pilgrimage to Fuji. It actually happened in 1340. A Buddhist monk monk named Shokai entered a cave within Aoki Gohara and began his ritual fast, saying that his sacrifice would liberate the people from their karmic transgressions. The records indicate that Aoki Gohara possesses its own deeply rooted cultural memory and a sacred pilgrimage location. Due to the number of important similarities, Shokai's actions can be argued to have influenced those later taken by Moroku. Both men were devout Buddhist monks. They chose the northern area of Fuji, and they committed their suicide through ritual fasting for the salvation of those in their group. So there with just two of them, it it really shows that it is a very spiritual place, a a place that's very deep for a lot of monks there that it, it basically the yin and yang Mount Fuji and Aoki Gahara. And 
where Mount Fuji is a place of salvation and and resurrection with a place where they can commune with deceased relatives and purify their souls, Aoki Gohara is looked at as the opposite to that. It's a very dark place for your final pilgrimage. Now, religious suicides have been individually documented, but Aoki Gohara was also the resting place for many rural and peasant people during the Warring States period between 1467 and 1603. War and bitter famine were common during this period, and they went to Aoki Gohara and the foot of Mount Fuji, and they brought the elderly and the very young people, and they left them in the forest. It was a practice called Ubasute, and it was done because they couldn't feed everybody. There was famine and drought, and they just didn't have the means to feed everybody. So the elderly in their families basically gave their life to make sure that their families survived, and they would go into Aoki Gohara to do this. And they had hoped that through their sacrifice, the spirits would find rest and pacification in nature. So this type of behavior gave gave rise to Aoki Gohara's kind of ghoulish infamy as a haunted space. And it's believed that all of these actions have created a cyclical vortex of the dead, drawing the living in to commit suicide. A lot of modern Buddhists, such as Shaozen Yamashita and Kiyomiyo Fukui, the spirits linger in Aoki Gohara, and they actively call people to the forest. Now, when you have this much cultural memory and history in one single space, it's argued that people's perceptions and everything add this feeling to it. Mm. You know, it may not, that may not actually be happening, but because there's a cultural memory of what happens in this forest that it it's just believed to be that way. And there, like we said before, there's this loneliness to Aoki Gohara that helps kind of perpetuate that. And modern Buddhists have set up temporary altars all over the forest in order to make offerings and pacify the spirits. And they will walk the woods in hopes that one day the spirits will stop drawing people in. And it was a popular belief before World War II that once you entered Aoki Gohara, you were unable to find your way out, and you would be trapped in a perpetual twilight with a limited field of vision, impossible to see the stars or even Mount Fuji, though you're that close. And being that you're completely shut off from everybody in the outside world, you feel alone, and that can lead to despair and your death. Yeah, and because of the the magnetic iron that's found in the soil, in that in that lava soil, um, cell phones don't work, compasses won't work. So one of the practices that people will use if they're going in with the idea that they might reconsider what they're going to do. They will use ribbon or rope or even tape to attach to one of the trees and trail behind them so they can find their way out because it is so difficult to navigate once you're inside. I mean, you know, imagine if you're somewhere where it's really difficult to see the sun um, everywhere you look, north, south, east, and west, is just thick groves of trees. It all looks the same. Yeah. I mean, everywhere, I mean, and the there are paths through the forest, you know, that, you know, if you're just going to go in there to, to explore or visit, they recommend staying on the path. Even in some of the photographs of the paths, they're not exactly 
you know, it's not like, you know, you're walking through Yosemite or something, you know, where the, the path is clearly marked and there's guideposts and signs that tell you which way to go and how far you are in and all this. No, it's not there. If you get the little least bit turned around, you don't, you can't tell which way you came from and which way you were going because of all the trees looking the same and the moss covers everything. It, there is no like identifying marks that you can say, okay, I, you know, I just came this way. That that's the way out. Right. Right. And the Japanese self-defense force actually admits that a lot of commercial equipment that you would get, um, commercial compasses and all that will not work because of the high magnetic forces in that forest. So theirs that are military grade will work because they're higher. They're they're, shielded. Right. They're, they're shielded. They've got a higher shielding on them so that it doesn't pick up the magnetic field from the ground, but anything that civilians can get won't work. And they have even gotten lost and turned around in the forest at times. So it's very easy to do. Yeah. I read that if you didn't have a topographical map, that it's nearly impossible to accurately navigate. Right. So, I mean, that, and that alone will, you know, uh, it, it garners a little bit of the mystique that this forest holds. Right. You know, so, um, one of the, one of the legends surrounding the forest is the presence of, of Yuri, which are the spirits of the forest. And depending on how you look at, at these things, it could be good. It could be bad. You know, the, the Yuri, uh, the spirits of the forest, they're there in some people's minds to draw people in, whether it's to draw them in to die or to just draw them in to get lost. Um, we're going to talk about a story here in just a little bit about um, the use of these ribbons and so forth and what's happened to them and the story some people have told about going in and getting so far in and then not being able to find their way out, even though they had, they had used a ribbon to, to trail themselves so they would be able to follow it back. Um, but there's also stories of demons that, live within the forest. You know, honestly, I, I, we've talked about these magnetic fields and things like that in other situations and not only how they make equipment and things act, you know, strangely, but they make you feel differently. And I think the talk of the demons that are in there stem from that, from the misunderstanding of, you know, how this, how this part of Japan you know, was formed right? and, and what's there and how it can, you know, mess with compasses and cell phones and radio equipment and things like that. So it, it just, if you didn't understand it three, 400 years ago, it would be easy to say that's the spirits of the forest at work. Right. That's the demons that reside in the forest, you know, working against you either to, to pull you deeper or to force you out. Right. And yeah, with the, with that, you know, that thought in your head and it being, it being that place for so many centuries, then even to this day, that's going to linger in your culture that this area is a place that you don't go. Right. Because locals around that area they tell their children, you know, you do not go to Aoki Gahara. Right. It's a forbidden forest. And most of who goes to this forest are people that don't live around there. You know, businessmen that don't live near the area or tourists who come to see it because yeah. of the ghost stories. And But locals don't really venture because of the stories. Yeah, and the stories have um, brought up this this uh this term dark tourism people finding places that have a macabre history 
to to visit, just to experience it for themselves. And I think everybody could be guilty of that to some degree. I know I am. You know, you 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 know, you go on some you know uh, some Hollywood tour. And, you know, this is this is the gravesite of this actress, and this is the tomb of this actor. You know, it's like, oh well, you just want to see where that person's buried. No, well, there's some. You know, there's a little creep factor to that, right? You know, or 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 going on one of these tours where they're they're showing houses that a murder took place, right? You know, something like that. So you know, humans for centuries have been obsessed with the macabre and the dark, right? And it's just inherent within us to be, and maybe just a little bit curious. Some of us are more fascinated with it. Some of us are so fascinated with that kind of stuff, we do podcasts talking about that stuff. (laughs) That's right. But for normal people, they, you know, it's just a slight curiosity about that stuff. Yeah. um, And I think part of it, too, especially with uh, Aoki Gakara, questioning your own mortality, you know, it, it, it leads you to to look into this, to learn more, to experience some things. Yeah, I think that's why people go skydiving and bungee jumping and stuff it's like eh, this may be as close to death as i can get without actually dying. right to face your like you said face your own mortality yeah. and take an internal journey right i personally am not going to jump out of a perfectly good airplane nope <laughs> but the just the the history there um the the, the sheer number of deaths that have occurred in that forest will will bring up story after story after story. I mean, you just you can't have a location like this. And so this is why it's alluring to graveyard tales. Right. It's because of all of these things which we have mentioned in other shows, you know, death and the energy that it leaves on the earth, the the magnetic fields, the way that they can imprint on a location um it just makes you think well this has got this has got to be one of the most haunted places around you yep. know 12, 12 square miles of of forest where this many deaths have occurred then there's absolutely got to be some ghosts oh, yeah. there. and that's the way it's touted if right. you if you read any of the clickbait things then this is you know the most haunted forest out there and it's it's Scary. Yeah. Know. So one of uh, one of the most interesting stories I came across was um by a writer for the Japanese Times named Rob Gahuli. He was traveling in the forest, wandering around, just exploring, and he describes this petrifying scream that comes, you know, from within the forest off the path. So worrying that somebody was in danger, he tried to to find where the scream came from. Not too far off the path, he came across the body of an older man leaning up against a tree. But as looking as he was looking at this area, he realized that this person had been dead for quite a long time. But he was never able to find the source of the scream. So it certainly wasn't that man. Right. But, you know, disembodied screams are something that is commonly reported as being heard, you know, in the forest. There is um, there is a show called Destination Truth that was on sci-fi. Yep. Josh Gates. Yeah. And they uh, they took a, an investigating crew out there. They actually captured a white smoke type image on video. And and I've watched the video, and what it appears in the distance, and it it's dark. I mean, they're they're using, um, you know, night vision photography to film this. What it appears is that a human shaped figure just rises up out of the ground in the distance and is there for a few seconds, and then actually doesn't just vanish it actually shrinks back down into the ground. Right. So 
you know, looking at it, if you thought, well, this is some natural phenomenon where it, you know, there releases some kind of smoke or powder or vapor or something into the air, that's going to continue to go up. It's right. it's not going to stop and it's not going to hold a form. It's certainly not going to pull back down in the ground. Um, they actually had the video examined to make sure that it was legit and that nobody had tampered with it. And the people that did that, the testing said that, no, this video hasn't been tampered with. Right. So it's, it's difficult to say, Oh, yep. That's a ghost on film. Um, but it's difficult to say that it's not, Yep. you know, there's not enough evidence there to explain it away, Yeah. but at least we know you know, according to them, that the video is legit. Yeah, there's no yeah. natural explanation for that that they could come up with. Right. And right. I've watched Destination Truth every, probably every episode when it was on, and they do a thorough investigation of the evidence that they capture. Right. And I believe them when they say that, you know, it was not faked, and it was, it's not like some of these ghost hunting shows that do fake evidence just to get ratings they if they don't find anything on a location they don't show it yeah you know yeah and the like you said there if it was a gas emission from volcanic soil well it's not going to it's not like a bellows where it would squeeze out and then suck it back in it would either float away or it would continue to go up or something so to me, the white mist is an apparition or something trying to manifest. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly looks like that on the video. So There's a lot of rumors and legends that have come out of the forest, too, that are just widely believed by the locals in the area. Um, and one of those legends is that the forest won't take you unless it wants you. So essentially, the forest will not allow you to die if it doesn't want you to die. And so there's a gentleman, uh, Hideo Watanabe. He is a shop owner right outside one of the entrances to the forest. So one day, uh, Mr. Watanabe goes into the forest and he finds a woman hanging from a tree. He says the rope was tight and her eyes were bulging, but she did not die. So you can take that for what you will, um, but most people don't survive right? something like that. Um, so it's interesting that this particular lady did, and the number of failed attempts, not I'm going to reconsider what I'm doing and I'm going to go, I'm going to leave. And, you know, seek some help. I mean, these are people that actually gave it what they thought was their best shot and didn't succeed. Right. And so leads credence to the fact that the Yuri choose who I get it, it kind of think, think of it as who will join their ranks, you know, which, which person that comes into the forest, do they want to accept and which do they not? Because a lot of times if you attempt it, you know, you complete it. Mm -hmm. You don't, especially like you said, in a, in a hanging case. So that that's very telling of that legend. Right. Um, another legend is the, um, the presence of, of spirits that protect people from trying to commit suicide. So there was an American couple that was on a trip and, and they went hiking through the forest and they learned the hard way that it's easy to get turned around and they got lost and they really started to flip out. And they met this Buddhist monk that was inside the forest praying and he calmed them down and he guided them out of the forest. So when they get out, they go back to where the locals are and they're telling them this story. And they're told at that point, 
Well, there's a rumor that there's a Buddhist monk that lives within the forest, and his duty is nothing but to prevent people from committing suicide. But there's also the idea that because this monk has never been seen outside of the forest, that it's actually a saintly spirit that's there to protect people from taking their own lives. Right. You know, so now now we're talking about not just Yuri, we're talking about, you know, other spirits that, you know, could be benevolent. Right. Um, well, you've got that much draw in an area, um, as we've talked before and, and mentioned earlier, the areas itself can draw paranormal activity and spirits to them. So if you've got that much draw in an area, you're not going to just draw negativity. Right. You will draw the positive energies as well that want to help out the living and not just condemn the living. Right. Um, so let's talk, let's talk a little bit about um, what happens when they, uh, when they find the bodies in the forest. Because this this speaks to these these other stories that we're hearing that we're talking about tonight. Um, there is a a suicide prevention squad that patrols the forest, and as Adam mentioned earlier, will annually sweep the forest, you know, for bodies and personal belongings and whatnot. When they when they find bodies, they they make every attempt to identify who they are, contact families and, and whatnot. But they bring them back to one of the um, forest patrol stations. And they keep the bodies there, and someone sleeps with them that night. Now that, you know, it, it, sounds, it sounds crazy. To me, it sounds absolutely horrifying that, that you would have to do this. I mean, how... How short of a straw do you got to draw to be the one that gets to sleep with all mm-hmm. the bodies? Um, but there's a reason for it because it is believed that if they are left alone, the the spirit of the owner of the body will scream all night. So they do this to prevent that so that they're not alone. And this just proves how deeply they believe in the spirits of the forest and people being their spirits being trapped within the forest. Because if you're, you know, even for them sleeping in the same room with a dead body is not pleasant. None of them really want to do it. You know, they, I read where they actually uh, will play a game, basically rock, paper, scissors to see which officer has to spend the night there. And that just shows that they, you know, they would rather do that and be uncomfortable for a night than have this spirit lost to the forest. Yeah. Well, it's a cultural thing. I mean, you know, death in the Eastern culture is a lot different than it is in Western culture. Um, I mean, it's it's still sad and, and, you know, families still miss loved ones, but the idea of the afterlife or how they can help you facilitate you know a pleasant afterlife it is a lot more common than it is in the western world right and they they believe a lot in reincarnation so they don't want your spirit to be lost to the forest because right. then you cannot be re- reincarnated later and helping helping this spirit to stay with the body or move into the afterlife and not get stuck is very important to them. Right. So with all of that in mind, it's easier to understand, you know, why the, the Japanese would, would, would do something like this, would, would go in with such care and compassion, you know, retrieving these, these bodies of people that have taken their lives in the forest, you know, it's because regardless of what your life was, regardless of how your life ended, 
in the in that culture you deserve a pleasant afterlife you you deserve to move on you, you deserve for your spirit to be released and and that's the idea you know so spiritualism and and the idea of of friendly or saintly spirits or or negative spirits that would seek to to do you harm or to draw you in it, it's very prevalent in in modern japanese culture but absolutely in um you know japanese history and and how how that culture and country evolved over the last you know centuries right um just the like like adam said at the beginning you know suicide is is looked at differently you know, in Eastern culture than it is here. Um, it's not necessarily thought of as a positive. I mean, you know, like we said, you know, the, the country of Japan is, is doing their best to try to prevent this. Um, but the, but the idea that something would happen in somebody's life that would lead them to this, you know, it, it almost seems like it's more understood than it is here, you know. You, you, it's like watching these after-school specials, where it's like, oh, well, how in the world he had so much to live for? You know, how could he do this? And that's all true. But how you, how the living deal with it from culture to culture is totally different. Because even though you may say, you know, this man was a, a father or this woman was a mother. She was a productive member of society. You know, she had so much to live for. But this happened, and it it led her to this decision, or the spirits guided her to this decision. It's it's more understood, and I think that's why they they do things like they do. You know, they 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 don't tell you in those signs. Um, don't do this. You've got too much to live for. They appeal to what would be the strongest in that culture. Think of your parents. You you honor your parents. You know, you honor your siblings. You honor your children. Meditate on that. Think of that. You know, before you make this decision. You know, your life is a gift. That phrase alone is speaking to something that is that is a common thread in Christian culture of your life is not your own. You know, your life was a gift. You know, in in Japan, you know, it mentions your life was a gift from your parents. So you could be dishonoring your parents by taking your life that they gave you. In the Christian culture, you know, your life is a gift from God. You know, you're dishonoring him by taking a life you know, especially your own. So, you know, when you, when you look at that and you say, wow, this is, this is such a, such a huge problem. Um, it, it's all in, in how you, how you look at it and how you deal with it and how you try to prevent it. Right. And, you know, we, we chose this topic because of, you know, the, the, the stories and the history and the uniqueness of, of this location, um, knowing that this was a sensitive topic. But like I said, we you can't talk about one without the other. You know, the, the mystique and the allure and the, you know, the legends of what this forest may contain and the power that it has. Um, you know, for centuries, you know, these monks understood that there was power here. There was power in Mount Fuji. There's power in this forest that was created by this mountain. Um, you know, it, it just, it, it really just makes you feel like, God, if there's something paranormal going on in the world, this is one of the first spots that I would pick. Right. You know, so. And, and the people around there, you know, feel the same way. The, the. The people that live near Aoki Gahara believe that wholeheartedly. And 
again, like Matt said, we know this was a heavy subject and a and a fairly heavy show, and it maybe a little bit outside of what we normally do, but you know we wanted to do it because it it's been a area that has interested us for a long time, and you know if you have any thoughts if you've ever been there if you know anybody who has ever visited hit us up let us know we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the area and the paranormal activity that is around there yeah and if you are interested in this and you you do more research and you you look into to reading about the uh, Aokigahara forest You'll find what Adam and I found, that this isn't all what it seems. And we've learned a lot about different topics in doing this um, that shattered a lot of preconceived notions for the both of us. Right. And, you know, going into this, when we started researching it, we realized, man, this isn't just, you know, this isn't just a story about a haunted forest. You know, there's a lot more about this place. And so I, I think, you know, I, I know I did, and I'm, I'm fairly sure Adam did. Um, we, uh, we had to, after researching some of this, we had to toss some of those ideas out. Yeah. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. yeah, you get this mental image of something that is described as a suicide forest. And you realize real quickly when you're reading about it is, man, this, this could be just a really amazing place on the planet that unfortunately has, you know, this history associated with it. Right. And a lot of people, one of those ideas that you have to throw out is that it is, you know, it's a tourist attraction for the macabre and that when you go in there, all you're going to see is ghosts around every tree and all that, you know, there's a, a bigger, message that is embedded in the forest and it's one that when you get into it it really hits home and we thought about you know we wanted to do the Aoki Gahara forest and then we got into the research and we're like this isn't at all what we thought it was going <laughs> to no. be no it wasn't and we decided to go ahead and go on with the show and do the topic because you know, it's a very important topic to talk about yeah. in today's society. So, like we said in the show notes, if any of our listeners are in dark times, there is help out there. You can call that number and get some help. Talk to a friend. Talk to somebody. Because dark times do pass, and there's been a lot of people that have been in dark places that have come out. And that's proven in the Aoki Gahara forest. There are a lot of people that were in a dark place that went in and they came out. Um, But in conclusion to tonight's episode, we hope we enlightened you in some way with maybe changing your preconceived notions about the forest. But like we said, hit us up, join our Facebook group. If you haven't already, we I try to post dumb stuff in there and keep the levity of the group. You know, we a lot of our listeners will post in there just any interesting thing that they find. So join us there or join us on Twitter. Yeah, and uh, and and reach out to us. Let us know um, you know what you think about topics like this. It um, it's not alone out there. Um, of places that have a very storied and unique history. And that's part of what we do. We, we look for um, locations that, you know, not just have a, a paranormal background, but that have a, a, a truly mysterious and interesting uh, history behind them. And, you know, the legends and stories that come out of that history. So, uh, yeah, if somebody's got another location like this or, or, or even, you know, just a really, really interesting place, we'd, 
we'd love to know about it. I mean, we, we know that there's places all over the world that are, you know, have incredible, you know, history behind them that we may not even know about. Um, so if you know, let us know. Uh, like I said, your ideas may lead us to, uh, to do an episode about it. And uh, we look forward to seeing you back here in the graveyard. Yep. We'll see you soon.